The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perra columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Today we're off to West Africa, Burkina Faso specifically, uh, where we've got Sarama Resources bringing together a lot of work that they've been doing there over the years and uh, heading towards uh, getting uh, into production. The ASX code is SRR. They're trading at 12.5 cents for a market cap of around $17 million. And they're also listed in uh, the Toronto Exchange. They came to Australia last year in May 2022, raising $8 million, which allowed them to fund a, a big drilling program last year, which is crystallizing the, the company's uh, planning to uh, get into production. So with that, I'll introduce uh, the CEO and MD, Andrew Dinning, to the show. G'day, Andrew. How's it going? Yeah, hi, Barry. I'm, I'm going well, mate. We're pretty excited about how Sarama's developing and evolving at the moment, so it's, I think it's a great time to, to have a bit of a chat about that. I mentioned that things seem to be crystallising in terms of uh, you know, development planning. Now, we're talking about the Sanatura project, uh, which is uh, you know roughly 3 million ounces in the southwest of the country there, and the big drilling program last year. So what point are you at now? That's actually quite an interesting question because the project's through a scale now where we can you know support us, a, a you know, fairly significant mine development, but we still have quite a lot of exploration runway ahead of us. So I think one of the things we did last year, you know, I guess following all our drilling and looking at the results, which you know, on balance were, were pretty good was look at the various development routes that we have available to us. And we've got a large oxide resource that's got a pretty good grade profile and you know, very good leach kinetics. Um, and it all starts at surface. And I guess one thing we looked at was you know, how best to leverage that and what's the best way to optimise a project on, a, on an EV per share basis so that you know, we look after existing shareholders and, and don't uh, you know, blow the capital structure out too much. So the projects, you know, we probably classified as as a late stage exploration, but it, the flip side of that, it's also a pre-development asset, um, given the different ways we can approach it. So, you know, a third of the resource is oxide, and two thirds is over two grams, so it does give us a bit of a bit of room to move. So, you know, the project now, I, I think, you know, in the latter parts of last year, you know, we looked at, you know, internally, we did some concept work on a big project doing you know, 140, 150,000 ounces a year, and then a, a more modest project that, you know, around half that, um, and then looked at the corresponding capital and, and what the, you know, next steps probably should be. The, uh, you mentioned the oxide component there. That's what presumably you'll kick things off with. Uh, I think the grade there's about two and a half grams a tonne. Is that right? Yeah, early on, the grades would be very good. The internal work that we've done, and, and really we're doing some study work now that give more, I guess, more clarity to the numbers, but looking at a more you know, modest build or medium-sized build, you're kind of looking at you know, average grade for the first five to seven years of around two grams, and probably 80% of that feeds oxide. So that obviously, if you kind of do your numbers on the back of the envelope there, gives you know pretty good um, operating cost parameters. And um, 
you know, should generate a lot of cash flow and a, and a fairly rapid payback on any kind of project development that we do. I'll just uh, take a step back there and talk about uh, West Africa as a subset of the ASX gold sector. The most successful uh, developers, miners uh, in the ASX uh, in the last couple of years have been those focused on West Africa. What is it about West Africa? Obviously, we just touched on one there. The grade in the early years could be quite exceptional compared to what uh, we see in the Australian scene. But what is it about West Africa that's allowing people to deliver projects on time, on budget, and uh, initially, at least, uh, starting off very well? Yeah, look, I, I think there's a couple of things at play there. I, I think one of the things is the, you know, the geological opportunity uh, in Africa, and particularly West Africa, is quite exceptional, particularly when you line it up gets a fairly mature market in Australia where there's a lot of sediment cover. Um, you know, if you look at all our deposits, they all start at surface. Um, so from an exploration point of view, and I guess from a mining point of view as well, it's, it's you know, very amenable to, you know, fairly low cost exploration. Our cost of discovery is under $10 an ounce. Um, and that's pretty consistent with most people operating there. So I think part of it is the, you know, the geological opportunity and the quality of the ore bodies. Um, and then I think the other thing is due to the you know, risk and perceived risk of, of where we work, you tend to do a lot more study work before you actually press the button on building a project. So you know, the, the financiers tend to put a lot more rigour into it um, to, to reduce the risk. And also, you know, you're often in areas where logistics aren't you know, as good as doing something in the eastern gold fields in Australia. So you do really need to have everything covered um, before you press the button. So I think the guys writing the checks, because you know, it's typically debt funded or, or some kind of hybrid, um, you know, they put a lot more rigor into it because you don't necessarily have access to equity markets, which to fund projects um, to the extent that maybe you do here. So the, the um, you know, the equity market obviously doesn't have the rigor in it that a, a lender does, whether it's, it's debt or some other form of lending. So I think there's a couple of elements. One is the quality of the deposits. Um, and then the other side is the, the gating that you actually go through before you actually kind of green light approach. Mm, okay. Uh, God bless all lenders out there. One thing they do tend to insist on is some hedging. You wouldn't mind hedging at 1968 US gold price where we are today. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. Um, I, I think people, I, I think if you look at our forecast costs, you know, we we'd be envisaging a you know well over a thousand US an ounce after tax cash margin. Um, yeah, you kind of be happy to hedge at nineteen sixty, particularly if you're looking at three years ago. And if you said that, people would be jumping out of their skin. But do you reckon if you're a gold, if you're a bit of a remotely a little bit of a gold bug, I think you'd want to be. Um, limiting the amount of hedging you do, because I reckon there's a lot more upside risk to the gold price than downside. Certainly looks that way. Okay. So in a rough sense, um, say you've got an initial five years oxide um, ahead of you. So what, you're going to plug that into some sort of uh, PEA evaluating um, this multi-stage development plan you're working on? Yeah, we had um, we had planned to do a PA at the end of this year because, um, as you mentioned earlier, we did embark on a quite a significant drill program. We got about twenty or twenty-one thousand metres done last season. It's all shallow oxide-focused drilling, so highly accretive. Um, I, I guess you know since then, you know when we've looked at reviewed things, um, we've decided to bring the the PA process forward. 
Um, obviously, being a dual listed company, we, we have the opportunity to publish a, an economic study in North America that maybe the uh, regulators in Australia wouldn't wouldn't allow you to do. Um, so yeah, we'd kind of be looking to get something out to the market in the middle of the year that's looking more at a staged development, but you know, should frame the project up for people to have a good look at it and see what the economics are like, what the reserve profile looks like and the grade profile. So what we'll look at is a, a staged development. Um, and obviously, we, you know, we've got a big project sitting there, but I, I think it's probably prudent to, to get on the board and generating cash flow and use that to kind of take it to the next step. So it'd be more like what we think in this market of uh, as a, a scoping study, would it? Yeah, I think Australia classified as a scoping study. Um, there's quite a lot of work gone into it already. So, you know, we've, we've kind of got maybe a little different skill set to other companies that you see at our stage. Um, obviously, my background's mining operations. Um, Paul, who works with me, is a mining guy as well. So um, we've done a lot of work internally on what the project might look like. So the work we're doing now is basically validating those numbers. Um, and once that work's done, that will then allow us to have you know more informed discussions with you know project financiers and, and looking at the pre-development funding for for drill offs and, and things like that. So um, yeah, so I, th I think you know for us it, it'll be a scoping study, but we'll probably look to go straight from the PA um, through to a, a BFS because um, we have a you know fairly high degree of confidence in the work that we've done. One of the features of the location of the project is you're not out there by yourself, are you? You're surrounded by uh, some big operations owned by others. Yeah, correct. Our project's in the Hyundai belt in Burkina Faso, which is probably the most prolific gold belt in Burkina, and I'd say one of the more prolific belts in West Africa. And um, you know, having Endeavour Mining, which is a, a, a Canadian and London-listed producer, I think they're not that well-known in Australia, but they're doing around one and a half million ounces a year. Um, and they'd be one of the lowest cost producers around. They probably, I think they just put out their report, they're maybe 900 bucks all in sustaining costs. So um, they've got a project immediately to the west of us um, called Bantu, which uh, anyone's kind of been playing the Aussie market for while was originally owned by Orbis Gold many years ago. Um, that's got about 1.2 million ounces on it. Um, and that's about six kilometres from our main deposit called Tankoro, which has got two and a half million ounces. So really the ultimate long-term value play um, here is to combine all of that into a, a bigger project. Um, but we also think that, you know, the first company to put a mine into production in the area probably ends up controlling it as well. Oh, because you're, you're also in a JV with Endeavour at uh, Karankasa. Oh, I won't even try and pronounce that. Yeah, Karankasa. Karankasa. Yeah. So is, would that... If there were to be a, some sort of regional consolidation, that would be wrapped in as well? Yeah, we, our view is that you put Karen Kasu, Bantu and Sanatura together and it gives you a five million ounce project and it wouldn't be hard you know, to envisage that doubling over time. And, and so really it's Endeavour and Sarama that control the southern part of the belt where we work. Um, it's a very well endowed part of the world. Um, and I think if you look at... Of, of that five million ounces, probably 80% of that would be within 150 metres of surface. So there's a lot of gold there. There's a lot of different styles of mineralisation. We've tried to consolidate it for a number of years, and I think the way it is now with Endeavour being involved is probably the closest that, you know, we've been to being able to do that for some time. So, 
yeah, it's it's a pretty pretty interesting part of the world for many many reasons, and obviously one way, shape, or form, Endeavour will play a role in in the future of Sarama, um, whether it's bending assets in or whether maybe they have a crack at us, who knows? Elevated gold markets like we've got at the moment, and we were talking there about the potential upside from here, tend to uh, move things along in those in that regard. So hopefully there could be some uh, rationalisation benefits coming through at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really, from there, like this scale now, like the last mine that they acquired, doing 400,000 ounces a year now in Senegal, their size threshold is quite significant. So their project has got a long way to go to get to a scale that meets their development criteria. Um, and the only way they really get there is if they have our assets. So I'm sure there's some serious discussions to be had at some point in the future on um, which way things might or might not go. But I think the important thing for us is we don't need their assets. They're kind of a nice to have, not a must have. So, you know, we're already through critical size and quite advanced in what we're doing. And yeah, that, that much earlier. Have you done, I know the exploration potential upside there remains pretty much untapped, but I was just wondering, have you done enough drilling now to more or less confirm, you know, say a five-year oxide resource base to kick things off, or do you need to be doing more drilling? No, the drilling we've done now uh, more than covers that. So, you know, looking at the kind of medium-sized project that, that we, we're kind of doing the study work on at the moment, um, yeah, we, we would look to the first seven years, 80% of that would be oxide. Um, so yeah, there's a significant amount now. So there's around a million ounces and that's without adding in what we drilled last season. Um, and we'd probably expend 65 to 70% of that to convert to, you know, gold inventory. So that kind of gives you a bit of an idea. And then it, it's, it's just when you transition materials from oxide to to fresh rock, it'd really be grade driven. It's just an economic decision, but all of that will get laid out in the in the PEA for the different development. And then in reality, I think once you're in production and and if you've got fifty million in the bank, you you'll start bringing things forward anyway. Has there been much exploration at depth? Not really at the Tankoro deposit. We we have tested one area there in the main in the central deposit area. We've drilled that down to about five hundred meters. And it's open at depth. What we see, it's it's a dike, porphyry dike system. And what we see is these high grade shoots within that. The kind of episodic, and we have tested one of the good shoots to depth, um, and it's open. And, and there is actually an underground resource there now, um, but that it just keeps running to depth. Um, but obviously, if stuff's not going to make it into the schedule in the first ten years, then where we're at now as a company, there's probably not. Not a lot of value in drilling it. Drilling programs for 2023, the focus will be on what? Uh, Bondi. So we have two deposits at Sanatura. So the Tankoro deposit, which is a discovery made by us, and it's about two and a half million ounces, and that's one adjacent, the Endeavour deposit. Um, that's one deposit. Then the other deposit is called Bondi. Um, anyone kind of reading it will just read it as Bondi. But it's I Bondi. Did. <laughs> yeah, and I, I kind of like the whole Bondi thing, but uh, Bondi, I mean, but... It's Bondi, short for Bondagui. Um, that deposit is a is quite a nice deposit. We acquired that from Ozone Gold a couple of years ago, um, and the permit had to get reissued and whatever. So that took an, a, an extended period of time. But we finally got all the paperwork on that in um, January, and um, we should start drilling that in the next kind of four to six weeks, hopefully. Um, it's a very it's it's all free milling in the oxide and the fresh kind of ninety seven percent recovery, 
the um, if you look at some of the historical drilling done by Orzone, um, yeah, they've got hit 70 metres at three from surface kind of stuff. Um, yeah, very sensational hits. When I I put a number of the hits on our website and when I was filtering the database, um, I started at 50 gram metre intercepts and had to go to 100 gram metre intercepts because we had too many. So, But we've remodelled all their data and if you have a look on, on our website, you'll see a long section of Bondi. Um, the mineralisation is about six kilometres long, but the, the main core of it is about three. But And what you see is the top 70 to 100 metres is very well drilled. But the deeper stuff is, yeah, it's the, the drilling is fairly sparse and it's not very well targeted. And you can see that in the long section in the northern end, you know, the block model for hundreds of metres is running two and a half to five grams and it's only been drilled 70 metres in that area. So we think there's still a lot of opportunity there and we think there's probably an underground story on that as well because it's got the grade to carry it. And that is, what, 30, 40 k's from Tankuru? Yeah, correct. It's about 35 k's, so it's truckable. To Tankoro, and that would be the kind of longer term thinking is, you know, the centre of gravity is obviously Tankoro, and then we look to treat Bondi as a satellite. You know, the, I guess the development philosophy is not a whole lot different to what you see in Eastern Goldfields in WA. Um, you know, you have your centre of gravity where your plant's at, and then you bring in satellites um, to that. And I think go back to one of your earlier questions, you know, when you look at the geological opportunity in the area, it's, it's substantial. So we, we think once once we're cash flowing, you know, most of the answers are going to come after that because trying to find it before, you know, is, is expensive. But once the geos, you know, you get the top ripped off the ground and the geos can actually get a good understanding of how things present and they've got a bit of time to think about it, I think that's when you really start to add value. Talk about it being uh, truckable in WA. Uh, they think nothing of, what, three or 400 kilometres nowadays. Oh, I know. I'm amazed. With uh, barely one gram dirt, so... Yeah. Yeah. I think, if, I mean, if you look at our project, I mean, the Tankoro mineralised corridor on our property is 16 kilometres long and one to one and a half kilometres wide. And a lot of that's, you know, drill tested. And then that extends for another five plus kilometres on Endeavour's ground next door. So, you know, anyone who's kind of familiar with WA, um, you know, I used to work at, at Cambelda, lived in Kalgoorlie and that's basically continuous mineralisation halfway from Kalgoorlie to Kambalda. Mm. Yeah. It's continuous. Or if you're in Perth and, you know, I was sitting in at Euro's office last week and trying to put it in context and said, well, you know, the mineralisation basically runs from here to the port of Frio. And if we include um, Endeavour's ground next door, it runs from here to Rottnest Island. So yeah. there's a lot of gold there, um, yeah. a lot of gold and... and Really, I think the best is probably yet to come. I must admit, when I was compiling the notes for this and I was trying to work out the market cap and I came up with 17.2 million, I said, oh, I'm doing something wrong here. Maybe I'm just counting the ASX shares or the Canadian shares, one or the other. Yeah. 17.2 million, obviously seriously undervalued given the, the resource base and the, what we've just been talking about. What do you see as being a trigger or an event that will get things moving on that market cap front? Yeah, that's, that's a pretty interesting question. I think... Um, it's something we've we've struggled to get the market's imagination, and and I guess it perplexes our shareholders. And you know, everyone has the same view as you, and maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm not really sure, but um, I think once we get this PA work completed and out into the market, um, and I think get some drill hits into Bondi so we can show what that's like. But I think really the getting the study published so that 
you know, we can frame up what the project looks like and the value that's that sits there, which is substantial. You know, that that will hopefully give people something to get their head around. And then I, I think probably the next thing is, you know, lining up kind of pre-development funding, which we think given what the what the um, you know the repayment metrics look like on the project, we we might be able to wind stick some of the project finance into pre-development as well to de-risk projects. So I, I think looking ahead, really the you know the study is probably fairly important for people to be able to you know understand the value of the project. Um, and then I guess if we take away the financing risk, then yeah that should help as well. Well, there we go, folks. An interesting story of. Uh fast developing story in 2023 with the PEA and the drilling at Bondi. So lots to look out for. So with that, I'll thank Andrew for your time today. Interesting story, mate. Good luck with it all. We'll be watching with interest. Yeah, thanks, Barry. I appreciate your time. Cheers.